Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the Spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. My name is Adam. I have the privilege of uh, serving as the lead pastor here. And let me say happy Father's Day to all the dads who are here this morning, and especially to my dad. Happy uh, Father's Day. Hope you've had a, a wonderful morning so far. You know, this week I was thinking about Father's Day, and I was thinking about all the different phrases that a dad will hear from their kids. And I thought of a, a three word phrase in particular that I think every dad will hear at some point during their journey of fatherhood. It's not the phrase, I love you, though I hope you regularly hear that from your kids. And kids, it's great to have you with us this morning and let me encourage you to tell your dads regularly that you love him and you appreciate him. Now the phrase I'm thinking of is the phrase, they started it. They started it. Almost every dad has had it where a a kid comes crying and you ask them what happened and they say, Johnny hit me. 
So you call Johnny and Johnny says, well, they started it. They hit me first. And almost every dad has heard this because the instinctive response of a child when they are hit is to hit back. And sadly, this does not just remain in childhood, but this is true for adults as well. Our instinctive response when we are hit is to hit back, to return the insult, to get even. It reminds me of the story I once heard about a a truck driver who stopped at a, a truck stop and ordered a cheeseburger. And as he was getting ready to eat his cheeseburger, a motorcycle gang pulled up. One of the gang members came in and insulted this truck driver and stole his cheeseburger. So the truck driver simply got up and walked out of the truck stop. A gang member said to the waitress, well, he's not much of a man, is he? The waitress replied, he's not much of a driver either. He just backed his 18-wheeler over six motorcycles. Now, there's something in us that likes that. (laughs) We like to see people get what's coming to them. When we are hit, we hit back. But the question I want us to look at this morning is what should we do when we are hit for being a Christian? What should we do when we are insulted for doing good, when we are mocked for being a follower of Jesus. For many of us, this is not a theoretical question. This has happened to us in the past, or or we're experiencing it right now. This is a question that we need an answer to. And thankfully, in this passage that we're looking at today, we are told how to respond when we are hit for being a Christian. We're in the middle of a a series right now working our way through the letter of 1 Peter. And this is actually one of the main messages of this letter because it was written to Christians and to churches who were living in the midst of the Roman Empire. And they were massively outnumbered. They were a tiny minority and they were massively unpopular. They were being mocked, rejected, ridiculed simply because they were followers of Jesus. And so Peter, a leader in the early church, he writes to them to help them to deal with this rejection, to help them learn and know how to respond. And we need to know this too. We need to know how to deal with this rejection, what to do when we're insulted, what to do when we're mocked for being a follower of Jesus. Now I wonder, how, how do you think Peter might instruct these Christians? Maybe he'll say to them, you need to retreat. You need to hide. You need to escape from the world. Separate yourself from the world so that they can't get to you. Maybe he'll say, no, no, you need to stop being so open about Jesus. I mean, dial it back a little bit. Blend in. Just become a bit more like everybody around you. Maybe he'll say, no, 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 you need to fight back. You need to get angry, get outraged, get even. You need to post some snarky Facebook comments. 
Now, generally speaking, these are the different ways that Christians respond and engage with the world. And I wonder if any of them describe your attitude. I hope that you can see there are real problems with all of these approaches. I mean, if we escape or withdraw from the world, then we'll never have any influence in the world. We'll simply live in our little bubbles and nobody will really care what we have to say. If we embrace the world and blend into the world and become like everybody else, we'll have nothing distinctive to offer the world. And if we fight with the world and try to get even with the world and bite back, then we will misrepresent Jesus to the world and we will undermine our message. So this question really matters. We need to know how are we to respond to the world? What kind of attitude should we have? Well, this passage that we're looking at today gives us the answer. And it actually answers three key questions for us. And in my study this week, I was really helped by a a pastor named Daryl Dash from Toronto. He helped me to see these three questions in this passage. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. How should we respond? So if we shouldn't escape from the world, if we shouldn't embrace the world or get even with the world, then what should we do? Peter tells us in verse 9, but I want to warn you before I put it on the screen, it sounds crazy. It goes completely against our natural instincts. It is incredibly challenging, and yet what we'll see, it is also incredibly powerful. Peter says, do not... Repay evil with evil, or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Now, to be honest, I think I would have preferred it if Peter had just said, hey, escape from the world. Go build a commune. Embrace the world, just fit in. Or even get even with the world, get angry but he doesn't. He calls us to extend blessing to the world. He calls us to respond to ridicule and rejection by doing good. Now let me just say, this is one of the reasons why I believe the Bible. People will often say the Bible is simply just a product of human authors, but listen to me, I would never have come up with this. And I don't think you would have either. This is from above. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus said to us in Luke chapter 6. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. This is the way of Jesus. And this is not just what Jesus said. This is also what Jesus did. I mean, the Bible tells us, it describes us as God's enemies. Because we were created by God and for God, but we have rejected God and ridiculed God. We have turned our backs on God. And the scandal of Christianity is that Jesus came from heaven to earth, not to curse us, not to destroy us, but to die for us, to be destroyed for us. On the cross, Jesus is cursed so that we can be blessed. He is rejected so that we can be received. 
It's exactly what Peter says in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Christ, for the unrighteous, that's you and me. Why? To bring you to God. This is the God we love and serve. The God who responds to cursing with blessing. And this is why you and I are called to do the same thing. You know, I I read about a Christian soldier who who understood this. He lived in the barracks with his unit and every evening he'd read his Bible and he'd pray before going to sleep. The soldier across the, the aisle from him would always ridicule him and insult him and one night a pair of muddy combat boots came flying at this Christian from across the aisle. The next morning, the the soldier who threw the boots, he found them at the foot of his bed. They were cleaned and polished and ready for inspection. The Christian returned blessing for insult. And the story goes that some uh, who witnessed this actually became Christians. Or or it makes me think of Bishop Festo Kivangere from Uganda. Bishop Festo had to flee Uganda in 1977 because it was at the height of of Idi Amin's reign of terror. And Idi Amin had actually had the archbishop of the church in Uganda killed, and so Bishop, Bishop Festo had to leave. After he escaped, a reporter asked him, if you were in a room with Idi Amin and you had a gun, what would you do? Bishop Festo answered, I would give the gun to him and say, this is your weapon. My weapon is the love of Jesus. In a world where it is normal and natural to hit back, to fight back, to get even, to take revenge, these examples are like shining lights. They are curious and they are compelling. This is why Peter assumes that as we live this way, as we respond to cursing with blessing, it will provoke questions. This is what he says in verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Fear Christ more than you fear anybody else. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You see, as we follow Jesus this way, as we respond to cursing with blessing, as we respond to insult with grace, you might just be asked, why? Why would you do that? I mean, I'm certain that the soldier who threw those boots, the next morning he woke up to have them there, the foot of his bed cleaned and polished, he would have had some questions. He would have been thinking, what? Why? And friends, this is our strategy in the world. This is how we are being called to respond. Our good lives should provoke good questions and our lips should provide good answers. Let me say that again, our good lives should provoke good questions and our lips should be prepared to give good answers. And so this begs the question for all of us, doesn't it? Does my life stand out? Do I live in a way that provokes questions? Is it obvious to others that I have a hope greater than this world? And am I prepared to give an answer when I am asked about the reason for my hope? Can I explain who Jesus is and and what Jesus has done for me? And just as importantly, can I do it with gentleness 
and respect. You know, when my faith is challenged or when I am insulted, do I get touchy, defensive, condescending? Or am I able to explain the message of God's grace with graciousness, with respect? So friends, don't withdraw from the world. We're not building a commune here. Make friends with those who aren't Christians. Go to parties. Hang out with people after work. Talk to your neighbours. Coach a soccer team. Join the student council. Don't live in a Christian bubble. And at the same time, be distinct from the world. Live a life of hope and humility and gentleness. Live a good life that provokes good questions and be prepared to give good answers. This is what God is calling us to. And this is what God was calling these Christians to whom Peter was writing in the first century. And you know, the amazing truth is that they obviously listened and it obviously worked. Now, how do I know that? Well, today, if you want to go to visit the Roman Empire, what do you go to see? Ruins. And today, you can walk into a Christian church that is alive and well and thriving in every single corner of the globe. Because this persecuted minority, these Christians, they responded to insult and cursing with blessing. In fact, Rodney Stark was a professor of sociology at the University of Washington. He wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. How the, the subtitle for the book is How the Obscure, Marginal, Jesus Movement Became the Dominant Religious Force in the Western World in a Few Centuries. And his conclusion was it was in part because these Christians were a blessing to those around them. For example, there was an epidemic too, actually, that swept through the Roman Empire. And these Christians, when this happened, they not only cared for each other, they cared for everybody else as well. See, all the cultural elites and all the intellectuals, they fled the cities. They didn't want to catch what was going around. But the Christians, at great risk and at great cost to themselves, they stayed behind. And they cared for the sick, whether they were Christian or not. Like their Lord, they responded to cursing with blessing. And friends, this right now is our historic moment. This is our moment to provide a compelling counterculture in our angry, touchy, vengeful world. To be a community that has a sure and solid hope in Jesus so that we can respond to insult with blessing, to cursing with grace. Now, of course, none of this means that it's going to be easy. In fact, Peter tells us very clearly in this passage that it won't be easy. There will be a very distinct cost to doing this. And this is the second question, if you're taking notes, is what will it cost us? Now, Peter implies in this passage very clearly that there will be a cost. Verse 14, he tells us that we may suffer, that we will face threats. He says in verse 16 that there'll be those who speak maliciously and there'll be those who slander. Now notice the reason why we might suffer or be threatened or, or be slandered. It's because, Peter says, you do what is right. 
It is because of your good behavior in Christ. In other words, Jesus has called us to be light in this world, to live good lives that show the goodness of God, but that won't always be attractive to everybody else. In fact, we should know that our presence and our light, it won't always be welcomed or appreciated. Think about the life of Jesus. Jesus lived the greatest of lives. He spoke the truth. He loved and served all. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He radiated light and goodness. And what did we do to him? We killed him. We wanted his light extinguished because we couldn't handle it. The Gospel of John says about Jesus, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And so as we follow Jesus, we should expect that others might want to extinguish Jesus' light in us as well. We should expect there to be a cost. According to Open Doors, an organization that works with persecuted Christians all over the globe, an organization that we support financially as a church, There are more than 245 million believers in the world who face intimidation, prison, even death for their faith in Jesus. Now, of course, we don't face this level of opposition, so we should be very wary of of complaining about how difficult we have it. And we should be busy praying for these believers who do have it in this way. But at the same time, we should expect that there will be a cost. We should expect the occasional raised eyebrow to be ridiculed, to be left out, to be laughed at, to be overlooked for an opportunity. We should expect there to be a cost for following Jesus. And so the question is, how do we endure and how do we not give up in the face of this opposition? We need to remember that God does not leave us on our own. He gives us the Holy Spirit, our helper, And he gives us the church, our new family. See, when we come to Jesus, we receive new brothers and sisters and we need each other. We need each other. In fact, we need to become the kind of community that is characterized by those things that Peter said in verse eight. We are to be like-minded, to be sympathetic. We are to love one another, to be compassionate and humble. We need each other. And when we actively follow Jesus in this world, the church becomes more than a place that we kind of attend when we feel like it. It becomes our support network. It becomes our family. It becomes the place where we are encouraged and oxygenated with the gospel so that we can go back out into the world and face opposition with strength and courage and resilience. Truth is, even though it's completely worth it, it is difficult to follow Jesus in this world. There will be a cost. But Peter doesn't leave it there. He goes on to tell us why it will be worth it. Which is the third question. Why should we pay the price? Why should we face ridicule and opposition for following Jesus? Peter gives us two reasons. And the first is that we should be willing to suffer for Jesus in this life. We should bless when we are cursed in this life because we will be blessed by God in the future. Peter says in verse 9 that we are to repay evil with blessing so that we may inherit a blessing. Now an inheritance is something you receive in the future. And Peter is saying that we need to keep doing what we are doing. 
Keep doing what is right. Keep responding to evil with blessing because we will be blessed in the future by God himself. In other words, there is future glory on the other side of this present suffering. But not only will we be blessed, Peter also tells us that we will be vindicated. Now let me talk to the kids for a moment because that's a big word, isn't it? And it sounds like it's a bad word, but it's not. It's actually a good word. It means to be cleared of blame. It means to be cleared of suspicion. For example, imagine that your brother eats the last piece of chocolate cake from the fridge. They steal it from the fridge, they run away to their room, and your mum was really looking forward to this piece of chocolate cake. And so when she comes to the fridge and she sees that it's gone, she sees you standing nearby, she blames you. Now you tell her, it wasn't me, it was, it was my sibling, but she doesn't believe you. And she's about to send you to your room to, to be punished, but then your brother comes walking around the corner. And he's not so bright because he's still got all the evidence around on his face. And suddenly your mum realises who really did it. And you are vindicated. You are cleared of blame. You are proven innocent. And Peter says in these verses that as followers of Jesus, you might be insulted, slandered and accused in this life. But there is a day coming when you will be vindicated. You will be proven innocent. You will be proven correct. I mean, this is the point of verses 19 to 22, which is a really, really confusing section of our passage. I mean, in these verses, Peter talks about Jesus making proclamation to imprisoned spirits. He talks about the days of Noah, and he connects it all to baptism. And if you were confused as these verses were read out, you're not alone. Martin Luther, the Martin Luther, the Reformation, he once said, this is a more obscure passage than any other in the New Testament. He said, I still do not know for sure what the apostle meant. And so if Martin Luther can't work it out, then we're not going to sort it all out in just a few minutes. But let me just give you the bottom line. See, Peter refers to Noah and to Jesus and to what they did because both Noah and Jesus lived in the way that Peter is talking about. They both lived engaged with the world around them. They did not retreat from the world. But they also lived distinct lives because of their faith. They did not blend into the world and they suffered because of it. But even though both of them suffered, in the end they were both ultimately vindicated by God. I mean, everyone thought Noah was crazy, didn't they? Until it started to rain and it didn't stop. Everyone thought Jesus' claims were outrageous until he stepped out of the tomb and appeared to many different people. And you see, everyone might think that you're crazy for following Jesus right now, but there is a day coming when you will be vindicated. Because Peter says Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angel, all angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Jesus is reigning, ruling and returning, and when he does, you will be vindicated, proven innocent. And all the suffering that we endure for Jesus right now, it will have been proven to be worth it. And so the message to you and me today is don't give up. Don't stop trusting Jesus. Don't stop witnessing to Jesus with your life and with your lips. And when you were hit, as you will be, don't hit back. When you are insulted, 
Don't return the insult. Be a blessing. Wash the boots. Hand the gun over. Do good to those who hate you. It's not easy, but it's the way of Jesus. And it's the way that we, in our historic moment right now, can make a difference for Jesus in this world. And we're in this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these very challenging words. We thank you for those who have gone before us, the early church and their example. And we thank you ultimately for the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus in whom we stand before you loved, accepted and forgiven, filled with hope so that we might go into our workplaces and into our schools and into our universities and into our homes to be a light, to live good lives that provoke good questions so that we can provide good answers. Lord, it's not simple and it's not easy, but it's what you've called us to do. And so we embrace it. And we ask and pray that you would help us put aside anything that holds us back from being the people and the church that you have called us to be. To respond to insult with blessing. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Church, would you stand? We're going to sing in a moment. But first, hear this blessing from God. May the Saviour who has abolished death come to you in your sorrows. Stand by your side in the darkness. Carry you through your distresses and give you joy in the morning. Amen. That lay between